Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Dear God Almighty, as we come to you this morning, we're so grateful for so many things you do for us. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity you've given us together here today to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father in heaven, we come and thanking you for all those that's here today, that you bless us with good health, that we're able to come out here and worship you. We know, Father, there's many less fortunate this morning whose health may be failing them. And we pray for each and one of those, especially those that's on our prayer list, Father. We pray for each and one of those precious souls that you be with them mm-hmm. as they deal with health issues. We just ask, Father, that those things that's being done will help them have a speedy recovery and put them back in their everyday walks of life. Amen. Father in heaven, we're just so grateful for the spiritual healing that you give each and every one of us in our daily lives. And we continue to pray for that spiritual healing, Father, that we may walk in the light and do those things that have you pleased with us, Father. And then we might help to lead those that's not walking in the light, Father, that come to you for it's everlasting too late. We pray, Father in heaven, that you continue to be with this congregation. We're so grateful for the brothers and sisters here and the love they have for one another, Father. We thank you for all those who serve in different capacities here, Father, and ask you to continue to bless them. Mm -hmm. Father, we're so fortunate to have such a good eldership here, and we pray for each and every one of these men and their wives that they'll continue, Father, to lead this congregation in such a way, Father, to be pleasing to you and to help to reach those that's in this lost and dying world. We ask you to be with those deacons, Father, who often, Father, do the work that needs to be done here and they do it and in, in, in with a loving heart we're so grateful for that father that we have these men to serve and we ask you to continue to be with each and every one of them father in heaven we're so grateful for many blessings that we often take for granted father we thank you for the air that we breathe the water that we drink the clothes that you put on our back father for the good warm homes that shield us from the elements this daily things that we often take for granted that you give us in everyday walks of life. But the greatest blessing is most of all is your son mm-hmm. who come down here in the flesh, Father, who felt the things that we feel, who's gone through trial and tribulations that we go through, who, who knows us, Father, and that we're able to go to him in prayer. Amen. And we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who went to that cross willingly, Father. Oh, we have no truly friend than Jesus, Father. One who laid down his life for us. How grateful, Father, that, that we have this opportunity. And it's through the blood, the shed of his blood, Father, that we have the hope for eternal life. And we thank you so much for that. And, Father, we're also blessed today that we have Brother Willie with us here. Who, if it be your will, in a few moments, will stand before us and break the bread of life. Thank you for his willingness to want to come out and Bring a summer to us. Be with him as he has a good recollection of things he's prepared to say. And we pray, Father, as we may be good listeners and, and we may be mindful of things he has to say. And, and this sermon may help us all to be better and stronger Christians, Father. And we play the, apply these in everyday walks of life. Father, we ask you now to just continue to go with us throughout the remainder of this service. And we pray, Father, that these service will be well pleasing in your sight. And these things we ask and pray for it all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. 
Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Before our lesson this morning, we'll sing number 515 on Zion's glorious summit. Let's stand as we sing this. Sing all three verses. On Zion's glorious summit stood a numerous host redeemed by blood. They hymned their king in strains divine. I heard the song and strove to join. I heard the song and strove to join. Here all who suffered sword or flame, for truth or Jesus' lovely name, shout victory now and hail the Lamb. And bow before the great I am. And bow before the great I am. While everlasting ages roll, Eternal love shall feast their soul and scenes of bliss forever new rise in succession to their view. Rise in succession to their view. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of hosts on high adored, who like me thy praise <clears throat> O Almighty King Holy 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 Lord God I adored Holy 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 
Thank you, my brother. Appreciate you leading the singing. Appreciate y'all for singing out. And now that y'all have gotten warmed up, now we're going to start some singing. Yeah, hey, that was an amen. Amen. Uh, you should know this verse. Was there a gift like the Savior's given? Singing, no, none. Keep singing, no, none. Oh, well, will he refuse? Saints of all men have unsinging church. I believe in no none. Well, you know, Jesus, he knows all about I'm, I'm telling you, he will die till the day is done. Well, there's not a friend, no, like the lowly Jesus singing church, no, none, keep singing, no, not one. Amen, church. Y'all hadn't sang that third verse a lot, huh? <laughs> well, the guy that taught me, he said, you memorize the Bible and songbook. So if you're ever in prison, you won't need a pitch pipe or a song leader. Amen? <laughs> As with Paul and Silas. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We praise God, Jehovah Church. Amen. Amen. Born down in Bethlehem. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Amen. He's the great I am. Amen. Amen. Sing it over. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God, Jehovah Church. Amen. Amen. Down at the Jordan, John baptized him for saving all sinners. Amen. Amen. See him healing and preaching, a talking and a teaching. Well, he was sowing and reaping. Amen. He was walking on the water. Showing us heaven's borders. He was following God's orders. Amen. Amen. He was healing all the people. Amen, church. Making us all equal. You get me. There's going to be a sequel. Amen. I can't hear you, church. 
Hallelujah. Hey. Praise God, Jehovah. Hey, 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 amen. Amen. See him on the cross. Hey. He died to save the lost. Hey. He paid a great, great cost. Hey. Amen. Amen. See him in the grave. He died for us to save. Hey. And he rose to live again, church. Amen. A little lower. A little bit lower. A little bit lower, church. Amen. Amen. A little bit louder, eh? A little bit louder, church, eh? A little bit louder, eh? Amen, 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 church. Man, if I could take you out to the mall with me, I could get you fired up. Because <laughs> when you got people staring at you like you're crazy, you'll sing louder. And that's kind of where I'd get my practice in so I can come here and enjoy singing with the saints. We're talking about oneness and togetherness here from Ephesians chapter 4. We talked about doing class, the graces of unity, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. We talked about the grounds of unity, Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6. And now we're going to be talking about the gifts of unity and the grace, uh, the growth of unity. When I became a Christian, at that time, back in 1900 and none of your business, uh, the church had these yellow cards, and big giant yellow cards, and it uh, serve on the Lord's table, say opening prayer, say closing prayer, read scripture, just had a lot of things you could tick off, go visit, go to the nursing home, and every time I showed up, they gave me one of them things, well, I was going to have to get drafted, I wasn't volunteering, <laughs> and I think there was a big hump in my bed, because every time I got one of them, I went down and shoved it between my mattress, until it got to be a Mount Everest, and then the church had to start asking me for some of them cards, I had more than they had. So the guy that taught me, we started getting together out on campus, and he was always singing. But he was always singing these spiritual songs, much like Paul and Silas. About midnight, Paul and Silas was praying and singing hymns. He was always singing gospel songs. Come to find out, he had memorized about eight different songbooks. Songs of the church, sacred selections, praise the Lord hymns. Just, he had memorized about eight songbooks. He could... Not only call out the songs, he would look at the book and then tell you the number of the song in that particular book. I was quite impressed by that. Well, I knew them radio songs like that. How about you young folks? Y'all need a pitch pipe and a song leader for all your songs? I'm mad, I'm mad. No, you don't. Mama, mama, get my song book and my pitch pipe out of the glove compartment. No, you don't. You ain't got no pitch pipe, no. When you sing your songs, you like. 
Let it go. Let it go. I didn't want to come up in this fellowship and need a pitch pipe, a song leader, or a songbook. Because I wanted to be able to sing these songs with passion. And to sing these songs with passion, I had to learn to sing them away from this building. So that when I was going through trials or temptations, that's when I'd be singing. When I went down to that preaching school down at Harding. By the way, I flunked every test they gave me for two years. And I'd come out of there singing. You fight on and you fight on every day and you fight on and on and you fight on. Oh, just keep your hand in God's hand and you fight on. Y'all don't know that one, do you? You need more fellowship with the black church. Come on now. <laughs> and everybody would say, man, you must have ate that test. I said, no, I fucked it. They said, why are you singing? I said, that test ain't keeping me out of heaven. Hey, man, I'm going to pass the one the Lord's given me because he said that I sing, Hebrews 13, 15, with the fruit of my lips. I don't wait for Sunday and Wednesday. This is what I do all through the week. So by the time Wednesday and Sunday come, I'm, I'm already warmed up on that. This is what I sing through the week. Because you see, I got to teach those guys that I play football with. My mama's not a Christian. My eight sisters aren't Christians. Or seven of them. My two brothers aren't Christians. All these guys I played sports with in high school and college and in professional football, they're not Christians. They're not going to come up here and let a total stranger try to talk to them about Jesus. It's going to have to be somebody they are connected to. Someone they see living this. And so I was telling the guy that talked to me, I said, look, you got to teach my friends. He said, I don't know your friends. He said, you got to teach your friends. I said, but I don't know my Bible. He said, then you, you got to learn it. How do I do that? He said, start a Bible study in, in, in the dorm. I can't conduct no Bible study. He said, yes, you can. He said, you ever hear that Jill Miller? Just get your Jill Miller film strip. Just plug it in. It'll do the rest. <laughs> so I bought one for myself. And, you know, that was back during the plug it in, ding, turn the tape. <laughs> that was way back when in the 70s. But that's why I started off with the Jill Miller film strips and then some particular hand Bible studies. And then the fire caught. I didn't understand why uh, every brother and sister in the church was not out there talking to people about this good news. About the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where have you people been? That's the first thing I said. If I was baptized. Where have y'all been? I've been looking for y'all for 23 years. Where have you been? Why didn't you say something? And I just couldn't wait to get back to California. That's why I signed with the Rams. Went back out there and was able to teach my, one of my sisters. She's been a criminal attorney for some 56 years. And I thought she was going to be the hardest to teach because she is paid to argue. <laughs> but I found out she wouldn't argue with Jesus. Amen. So when I gave her BCV, that's book, chapter, and verse, she knew that was the word of God. But I couldn't get my high school friends to listen. I had been gone so long that a lot of the sinful habits had kicked in. And it kind of crushed me. Because at that time I didn't have these songs memorized. 
At that time, I didn't know my Bible that well. And I, I was always trying to get somebody else, a minister, campus minister, youth minister, somebody to come and teach my friends. My friends weren't going to listen to them because there was no relationship. And as we are beginning to see, Satan's attack is on the family. Because that's the heart of and foundation of all of our relationships. They start at home. My mama strawberry was my first girlfriend. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yes, sir. She let you live. Not only did she let you live, she cooked food for you. Did she wash your clothes? She washed your clothes too? Yes, she did. <laughs> I thought that was quite a deal. And of course, when she passed, it broke my heart because the first woman I ever loved would not let me teach you the gospel for 40 years. And so I've always committed myself, as uh, Romans 12 says, a living sacrifice. I want to be able to reach people who can see what's in the book in my life. Not by bringing them to a building, but by bringing them to Jesus that lives here. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He also said imitate God, Ephesians 5 and 1. Here in Ephesians 4, beginning of verse 7, Paul talks about the gifts of unity. The reason he talks about those gifts because most people who come to the Lord just like I did, I was saying, I ain't never getting up there teaching no lesson. I'm not ever going to lead singing. I'm going to lead no prayer. And everybody out there like, looking like one big giant eyeball looking at me. And half of y'all not even saying amen, amen. And the black brother, they keep asking me, how do you preach in them white churches? They don't say amen and they sit there and they blink you to death. I said, that's why I preached for two hours. That first hour, I thaw them out because they're frozen. And then I can get them moving about that second hour. Now, if y'all want to be here a couple hours, don't say no amen. But if you want to get out of here early, when I hear amen, I can finish on time. <laughs> they're there, Andrew. They're there. <laughs> because as you can see, I'm still in shape. And I can go from 9 this morning to 12 o'clock tonight. Because <laughs> the one thing I won't do is I won't cheat Jesus. So when I go outside them doors, that's where I work. So when I go to Walmart and I get in discussions at Walmart, I'm there five or six hours. I saw a lady one day, she came out of Walmart with one of those little plastic, plastic kiddie pools. And she threw it on the back of the truck. And she jumped in the truck and started off. And she's about to take off and get on the freeway out 35. Well, you know what's going to happen to that thing? It's going to become a kite. I didn't say a word. I just ran and jumped up on the back of the truck, tapped on it, and she had some bungee cords, and I bungeed that thing down in the back, and I went on into Walmart. Have a great day. I never said a word to her. I don't know who she was. Well, my wife and my daughters were nannies. So my daughter was nannying for one of the lawyers there in, in Denton, Texas. And she called me tonight. She said, Daddy, when I was nannying tonight, this lady came in, and she said, You know... I was at Walmart today, and this big black guy jumped in the back of my truck. I didn't know what he was doing. And I looked back there, and he was bungee cording that little plastic pool I had in the back. He was bungeeing it down, and he just walked into Walmart. She said, Daddy, I knew that was you, but I wasn't going to tell him you was my daddy. <laughs> she said, I was waiting to see if they were going to say something about you. <laughs> Don't we call that random acts of kindness? I look for opportunities. If I'm in line, I keep changing my pocket. So when somebody's scrambling for change, 
I just throw it up on the desk. And of course they turn around and look at me because I have that face that says, give me your watches. Give me your watches. <laughs> Some of my brethren accused me of being able to rob people just with my face. Well, that's one of the reasons I smile a lot. That's one of the reasons I try to be overly friendly. Because with my size and stuff, it kind of makes some people uneasy. When we moved to Dallas, I went in and kissed the whole police department so they all remembered who I was so they wouldn't be pulling me over. Because <laughs> they didn't get off scot-free. They was going to get a hug and a kiss. Well, lo and behold, COVID came along. Now I can't even kiss the man anymore. Did y'all notice that this morning? I didn't kiss y'all. Some of y'all did. I know y'all was waiting on it too. But I don't want people to be scared of me. Amen, church. I, I want them to be drawn to Christ. And so, don't worry. I've retired to kissing, fellas. That's why I gave you a handshake. I could tell some of y'all was kind of shocked because y'all don't know whether to come in and hug me or pucker. <laughs> so it looked like we was up here dancing like No, so you can get the word out. I've retired the kissing stuff. We're done. We're going to be doing something else. I don't know. I might come up with a hickey or something. He talks about the gifts of unity. I didn't know I could sing until I came to Jesus. Because I learned that Jesus never asked me to do something I'm incapable of doing. Let's read some, some of Ephesians chapter 4 if you are, have a Bible there. Beginning at verse 7, as Paul encourages the saints, he says, To each one of you, each one of us, this grace was given according to the measure of the gifts of Christ. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So they are in you. Romans eleven twenty eight 28 says so. God says he will not take back his gifts. He will not take them back, but he will hold us accountable for them. Romans eleven twenty eight. He will not take back those two things, his gifts and his calling. Because everyone's been called to the kingdom and everyone's been created with their gifts within them. Just like the butterfly that goes through metamorphosis. He goes from crawling in the muck and the mire to flying and soaring in the breeze. And so it is true with us that God has put gifts within us and through putting his spirit in us, when we obey Acts 2.38, these gifts can be used in the kingdom of Christ. Verse 9. Now this he ascended. What does it also mean? But he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Here's why, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, unto the building of the body of Christ, that we all attain, attain the unity of the faith. I didn't know those gifts were there. I was picked as the shyest person my senior in high school. We moved out to California in 1959 from nine years of living in Louisiana. And of course, having eight older sisters, I don't learn to talk till I was probably 15. They talk for me. That's what sisters do. No, he don't like that. He won't eat that. I didn't have to talk. And so I never talked for 18 years hardly. And now that I talk, everybody's like, what happened? <laughs> well, 
When you come in contact with Jesus, lock lips is no excuse for not telling others about the good news. Somebody told me, why should I not tell others? And that's what I kept telling the guy to talk to me. I said, look, man, I, I can't preach. I can't, I can't preach. He said, I know I heard you. He said, well, won't you leave the song? I said, I can't sing. He said, I know I heard you. He said, that's why we have fellowships. Get up there. You need to practice. I didn't know that's in our fellowships that we get to practice. Have y'all been practicing? Y'all get up and leave singing and stuff? Are you kidding me? Man, look at you. You just, you look like a preacher. I like the little vest you got. Got the sleeves kicking. You can do good up here. I know you're talented because ugly people are talented. <laughs> I'm telling you. I didn't know I focused on the ugly more than the talent. I learned to focus on the talent. And I can look around this room and see there's a lot of talented men in here. <laughs> Amen. And so then as I would go with him, he just starts singing in a restaurant. His attitude was, look, if they're going to make me wait on my meal, they're going to pay. So he said, come on, Willie. And he knew I was there. God is calling the prodigal, come without delay. Hero here and calling, calling. He's just striking up in the restaurant. And I'm going, everybody's looking. Everybody's looking. Why are they looking at us? They're staring at us. Man, I was so thankful I wasn't like y'all. Y'all blush, I don't. Amen. <laughs> if you could see under there, man, I was red as could be. He is singing at a restaurant. I'd never seen that. When's the last time you've seen it? Come with me. <laughs> You'll get to see it. So I'm sitting in a restaurant one day and sitting with a minister. And I'm, I was always singing to his daughters from the day they were born. Gospel songs. And so she said, in those days they called me Uncle Chocolate. She said, Uncle Chocolate. Do you sing to all little girls like that one right there sitting behind us? And so I turned around and looked at the girl and she looked like she just lost her best friend. So I thought, ooh, we won't go there. I said, yeah, just like that little girl. Well, about five minutes later, she said it again. Uncle Chocolate, are you going to sing to her like you sing to me? Isn't she one of your nieces? I said, okay, Tony, let's go. And so her dad stood up and we started singing. Um. He came down to my level when I couldn't get up to his. With a strong arm, he lifted me up to show me what living is. He'll come down to your level if you'll open up the door. He wants to make your life worth living. That's what he came down for. And we said to the little girl, what do you think? She said, mm, a five-year-old. <laughs> well, there were some college kids over at the table, and they started clapping. Well, I went over there and I said, okay. Y'all sitting over here clapping. I didn't see y'all singing. Well, next thing we know, we're having lunch with them. End up getting in a Bible study. Two of the five kids end up becoming Christians. Just because we were singing at a restaurant. Church, what we got is good news. This is good stuff. We can't keep it inside this building. Amen. Paul and Silas wasn't about midnight. They were praying and singing hymns. Guess what happened? The Philippian jailer and his family. Obeyed the gospel because he saw some people that was real. They were the church. They didn't go to church, if you catch my drift. Amen? We all have gifts that God has put within us. And the only way to awaken them is in this fellowship because this is where you get to practice. We get to practice on each other because we are connected. There's a oneness that's there. 
And to see some of those men who enjoy singing, they may be out in the foyer, out by the car, on a summer evening, continuing the song service. My song service don't start and end with the song leader here. Amen. <laughs> My worship doesn't start and end with everybody here. There are days when I need more. There are days I'm hurting. I need more than just an hour. I need a whole day. So I told myself on the way here, my 11-hour drive, I ain't turning on radio or nothing. It's just going to be me and the Lord. And I'm just going to take some time to spend with me and my father. So for 11 hours, that's what I did from Dallas, Texas, coming all the way here. Now, if you'd have told me when I was 21, 22, 25 years old, I would have told you I would die before I could do something like that. (laughs) Because there was a disconnect. I wasn't aware of the gifts. And as I've continued to grow over the years, and there are many men and women in this congregation that's aided me, I am the result of this fellowship. I can't read music. And when I became a Christian, I couldn't read. So picking up a book didn't do me no good, amen. (laughs) And so the guy that taught me, he said, look, man, he said, you buy the whole Bible on cassette and you listen 20 chapters a day and follow along. And he said, you'll learn to read in no time. I said, nobody in the educational system told me that. So I bought the whole Bible on cassette. You can tell how long that was ago. And that's what I would do. I'd listen 20 chapters a day. And I'd follow along. The book of Generation, Jesus Christ, Son of David, Son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brother. And Judah begot Pyrrhus, Ezekiel, Tamar, Pyrrhus begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nation, Nation begot Solomon, Solomon begot Jesse, Jesse begot David the King. And David got Solomon, Solomon got Rehoboam, Rehoboam got Abijah, Abijah got Asa, Asa got Jehoshaphat. Guess what happened, church? I learned to read. God don't make no junk. Amen. I mean, people out there in the world try to tell you, as they told me, they told me I was ADD, AAC, and ABCDEFG. Oh yeah, you laugh, and it's funny now. It wasn't when everybody was calling us dummies and retards. It wasn't funny then. I didn't graduate high school because of all of that. I did graduate from OU once I realized God didn't make junk. I stopped letting other people tell me who I was, and I let my creator tell me who I was. That's the beauty of the gospel. I found out who I was. I was a child of God. I was made in God's image, Genesis 1 verse 26. Let us create man in our image and after our likenesses. I was made after God, and somebody's trying to make my pigmentation define me. You are very shallow because I'm not a black man. I'm a child of God. And that trumps everything else. I'm not a football player. I'm a servant of God. That's something I once did. But the emphasis is supposed to be on serving my God based upon the gifts and talents he put within me. Amen, church? I tried to get this to my mama. When my dad was home, he was with us till I was about 10 and he divorced us. But he'd say, housework is a woman's job. Man, I liked him. I didn't have to wash no dishes, didn't vacuum or nothing. And then he left. And my mama said housework was a man's job. And I started busting suds. I got a needle and thread out to sew my own pants and buttons. And now my wife thinks that's a blessing because I do all the dishwashing. I cook, I wash clothes, I fold clothes, I pedicure her feet. I do my three girls' feet, and they wear 12s. That's a lot of fouling. 
And then my son came along. He wore a size 16. Had to get a chainsaw. <laughs> that dude had some bunions that matched Mount Everest. When I read John chapter 13, and I saw that Jesus washed his disciples' feet, it took on a different meaning. How can I ask my wife to follow Jesus if I'm afraid of her feet? My Lord wasn't afraid of his disciples' feet. And so I pedicure. I'm my wife's pedicure when it comes to them dogs. And of course, my three daughters sitting there like, hey, Dad, you got to get mine now. I can't tell my daughters, don't you marry that guy. It's too late. But if that guy ain't good at filing bunions, he's too late. <laughs> I see you thinking about it. I see, I see, I see the mind working. Exactly. You see, each time I do my wife's feet, I don't have to worry about her divorcing me. You see, I've been following them dogs for 39 years. Ain't nobody out there has put that kind of work in. Even her daddy hadn't done that. So I'm doing something that no other man has done. You think that makes me unique? Hello? Oh, yes, it does. You know why? Because I pay her and do her feet. She don't pay me. <laughs> That's pretty good. But not only that, I did her hair. See her stroking me? I did my wife's hair. I did my daughter's hair for 15 years. Then they wouldn't let me do it no more. They're like, Dad, you braid too tight. <laughs> well, what I wanted to show my children... Was they got to bless me with gifts. Having eight sisters, my sisters would pay me money to braid their hair at times. And so that was what I called daddy-daughter time in the mornings. I would get up before school and braid my girl's hair. That was my time with my kids in the morning, so I did breakfast all the years that they were home. Now with my son, when I did his breakfast, he had to do three sets of 15 pull-ups and a thousand push-ups. By the time I was through with breakfast, he was ready for some pancakes and eggs. But I had to have him work in Strawberry because he was going to have to provide for somebody one day. But I wanted him to see Mufasa in the kitchen. When you talk about gifts, I had never seen a man in the kitchen. When my dad was home. He only went in the kitchen and put my food on his plate. I don't believe housework is a woman's job. I believe a husband and wife is a team. Just like the church is. It's not the preacher's job to preach to all your friends. Okay? That's not what these ministers are about. They're trying to raise your kids. We all work together. And so ministers train others, evangelists train others to do what they do by taking them with them sometimes. And that's how I learned to sing or speak. The guy used to take me to the nursing homes. And he'd have me Sunday afternoons at the nursing home. And he'd pull up a chair behind me and sit down with his leg crossed. And I have no clue of what I'm going to say. Because he said, you don't write stuff down. If what you're preaching ain't in your life and people can't see it, then they ain't going to believe what you're preaching anyway. He said, preach what you live. So he said behind me with his legs crossed and he said, thank you for being here this morning. I want to thank you all for being here this afternoon. He said, tell them our scriptures in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 and following. Our scriptures in Acts chapter 2, 36 to 47. He started quoting and it was repeat and repeat. Let all the, all the house of Israel know that this same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. 
And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? He beat and I repeat. And finally, after, I don't know, a month or two, I said, man, I feel bad. You're sitting back there telling me everything to say. He said, look, man, these people don't know if they're going to come in. He said, this is training for you. So when you go out there in that world, you can connect your talent with these people that are out there. You ain't got to have a bunch of paper that you're reading stuff off of all the time. And so I went back to Pete and repeat. <laughs> he kept telling me what to say and do. 1975, I was asked to speak at the Tulsa Soul Winning Workshop. The first one they had at the fairgrounds. And I remember him because that was the first time I'd ever seen a white man in a yellow suit. I think he looked like a daisy out there in the audience. I think there were some 25,000 that was there at that fairgrounds. And this would be the first time I'd ever spoken in two years where he didn't tell me everything to say. And so he was nervous and he was just walking back and forth. I could see him out there in the audience. And he was nervous for me. And as I began to speak, the topic of that day, at that time, was why I quit professional football. And I remember my introduction was, I had to quit professional football for the same reason Superman needed a phone booth. He couldn't fly in the suit he was in. That was my opening line 49 years ago. And as I began to teach, here's this little five foot, 755 pound soaking wet quarterback who was tough as nails. He began to cry. I'd never seen him cry. My mother whipped me with an extension cord from the time I hit 12 till I hit 18. And I'd gotten to the point where I had not cried in 10 years. That's what an extension cord would do. And when he began to weep, I started weeping. I didn't know what effect, effect that would have on me seeing the man who had taught me the gospel been moved by seeing those gifts God put in me being put into fruition. And so we both wept that day. He hugged me and he kissed me. That's the first time a man had ever kissed me. And for two years, I meditated on that until I finally figured out what was going on. He knew the work that Jesus had sent him to do in my life was done. He had turned me over to another minister, Avon Malone. I did not know, as you get together with different saints who have different talents and different gifts, that eventually you begin to discover your talent and your gifts in this body because there's so many different gifts within this body. Ministering and serving and giving and cooking and preparing and singing and praying and putting others before yourself. I still vividly remember that day and that time because that's when those gifts were beginning to be awakened. 
I did not dream that 49 years later that I would be doing what he had been doing those years before he had encountered me. I'm so thankful for those men and women who use their talents to help train and teach others. And as he says here, this is one of the most profound statements in the Bible. There in verse 8. It says, when Jesus ascended on thy, he led captivity captive. Let me tell it to you another way. Jesus took captive captivity itself. What's he talking about? He's talking about Hades. When a person dies, they don't go to heaven. Everybody used that term today. Well, they're in heaven looking down on us. That's impossible. If a person died and went to heaven, they would bypass their spiritual body and the resurrection. Jesus was perfect and he didn't do that. One has to go into Hades. Luke 16, 19-31, Jesus gives us a glimpse into the spiritual realm so that we know what happens to the soul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says he was praying for the saints at Thessalonica that God would preserve their body, soul, and spirit were made up of those three parts. We know from Ecclesiastes 12, when a person dies, their flesh goes back to the dirt from which it came. The spirit goes back to God. But what about the soul? Man has never known what happens to the soul. So when the thief says, your money or your life, people give the money. Because man has feared death since Cain died. Abel, uh, uh, Cain slew his brother Abel, sorry. Man has feared death. Because they did not know what happens to the abode of the soul. And so when Jesus came, he came giving those answers. So in Luke 16, 19 through 31, he gives us that glimpse into what is called Hades. The realm of departed souls. And in Hades, there are two compartments, paradise and hell. And it's temporary, as Revelations 1, 17 says, that he now has the keys of death and of Hades. Jesus took captivity captive. You see, even though people could die and go into Hades, paradise, and be saved, they couldn't get to heaven. They couldn't get back to God. So there still was a separation. And that, that's what death means. So when God told Adam and Eve in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Their meaning be separated. They were separated from the tree of life. And so man was still separated from God. Well, he's a father. A father doesn't want his children separated from him. And so Jesus went into Hades. And that's the power and beauty of the resurrection. Colossians 1.18 calls him the firstborn from the dead. He is the first to come out of Hades, never to return. Everyone else that was raised before went back into Hades. Not Jesus. He ascended to heaven. Amen, church? That's what he's saying here. And he gave gifts unto men. And so you who do your studying and, and you teachers that teach class, praise God, we need teachers. We're always needing teachers. Because the few that most people have get worn out. We've got to start training more teachers to use their gifts. You don't have to be as good as your teacher or an older preacher. I thought I could get into ministry. Because I couldn't preach like Avon. I couldn't preach like Jimmy Ellis. I couldn't preach like an assortment of ministers, 4E Wallace, 
Say, were we Akeley? And I thought, since I couldn't preach like them, I couldn't preach. What gives you the talent and gifts to preach is your sin. Hello? Amen? If you ain't never sinned, you can't preach. But if you have sinned, you can preach. Amen? Romans 3, 23, all the sin and fall the of the glory of God. What does that mean? That means you can identify with the pain and suffering other people are going through because of their sin and their weaknesses. No, I don't know the exact emotions and feeling you feel with everything you've gone through but I know what sin does it comes with guilt it'll beat you down because Satan wants you to think that you are worthless well here as he is talking about the graces of unity the grounds of unity the gifts of unity God has put his gifts in all of us and in this fellowship those gifts are developed Hearing us sing this morning. I mean, y'all got together earlier to practice before y'all got here? No. But that's the beauty of our worship. It's something we all can work on individually and yet come together and sing in harmony. Amen. That's the beauty of his gifts. As long as we keep developing those gifts, when we come together, it'll be evident. When I married my wife... I taught her to Mercer. She was a swimmer at the University of Wyoming. My father-in-law didn't want her marrying a preacher. It took me 29 years to teach him the gospel. But he said, some of the sweetest people, at, he's 90 years old now, he said some of the sweet, sweetest people I've ever known has been... In the body of the Lord. He's experienced it. That's the beauty of this church. Is that we are all applying our gifts. You don't always have to be able to lead a song. But I know people will sit around you. And they'll tap you on the shoulder and say. I enjoy worshiping with you this morning. Amen. It happens. Or somebody else will say. I appreciate your prayer this morning. Or a lesson. I, I, I went to a congregation in Arkansas. And the secretary there had a little four-year-old daughter. And she had a few songs memorized. And she was just so wonderful. And I told the mom, I said, look, can I have her? I just got to have her. She said, no, no, you can't, sir. I said, you, you can have some more. I'm not married. I don't have any kids at the time. And, and I would just love to have her. She said, you can't have her. I said, why not? She said, she brought me to Jesus. What? A four-year-old? She said, yeah, she started riding the bus. They'd come by and pick her up. I put her on the bus using it babysitting. He said, she'd come back home and she said, Mama, you should have been in class. Let me tell you what I learned about this fish that swallowed a man. Let, let me tell you about these three guys that was in a fire. Finally, she said, I got so fed up. I said, look, if I come with you one time, will you not come home and keep preaching at me anymore? She said, Mama, if you'll come one time, I won't come home and preach to her anymore. She said, well, yeah, I went, loved it. They taught me the gospel. I'm the church secretary now. No, you can't have my daughter. Because <laughs> she worried me to death till I obeyed the gospel. I mean, what gifts does a four-year-old have? We all know. Getting on your nerves. Amen. They're good at it. That was a gift at that age. And it ended up getting mama saying, I will come if you will stop coming home preaching to me. 
And she got together with some brothers and they taught her the gospel. I didn't know I was good at cooking until I got married. Amen. I didn't know I was good at bedtime stories until I had four kids. I didn't know I was good at giving daughters away until mine got married. You see, church, our gifts are awakened when we take action to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21 Christ left us his examples that we should follow in his steps. Not only as he talks about the gifts of unity, he talks about the growth of unity. The growth of unity. Continue on. Look at verse 12. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a mature man, to the measure and the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight or trickery of men in cunningness and craftiness. Verse 15. Deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, there is that grow. You may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I was speaking over in Ennis, Texas. And my family was with me. And so like I was greeting some of you young men this morning. I do that everywhere I go. I was greeting these young men. And I said, how about you young men getting up with me and us leading some singing. It was at a fellowship after lunch. And us leading some singing with the saints that are going to be here. Oh, I'm not going to get up. That's all. Come on, guys. And they thought they had me. They said, okay. If your son James Franklin gets up there, we'll get up there. Well, they didn't know James Franklin has that songbook memorized because that's what I do with him every night is we sing about 25 songs and not the same ones. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and so all the guys in the youth group got up that afternoon because my son was an all-state football player. Some of the young men assumed that he would have no spiritual maturity or character. Everything that I do, my son does. Because in my household, we don't run an option. We run an eye formation. Amen. <laughs> if y'all catch my drift. <laughs> he leads singing in my household. We do devos in my house. He's the song leader. And then he leads the prayer. When I'm out of town like this, he does the singing. He does the prayer. And he does the lesson when I'm on the road. Amen, church. Because I'm training him to be Mufasa. He don't want to stay Simba. Amen, man? Okay, I'm glad. I didn't see you amen, but I saw your head doing this. Are you getting a little Alzheimer's or something? <laughs> That's part of who he is. Because I knew that was the way I learned in this fellowship. Is that all these young men should aspire to be an elder. To be a minister. To be a teacher. To be a song leader. To serve on the Lord's table. 
Because you're tapping into those gifts that's going to cause you to grow and mature. The growth of unity is about maturing the church, maturing men and women to the point where they can go out in the world and tell others about the good news of Jesus. So when my son got to the University of Missouri, all the black guys called him over. And he called him and told me on the phone. He said, James Franklin, we notice you don't wear an earring. He said, in my family, all the women wear the earring. What? What? You wait till we get you on that field. We'll wear you out. Well, they told me that he trucked every starter on the first defensive team. His nickname was Tank. The coaching staff told me he stopped all the coaches from using vulgarity in his presence. He stopped every teammate. Not one of them will use cuss words in front of him. He graduated from Missouri in 2013. To this day, I've never asked him what he did to stop them. That's his world. Amen, church. <laughs> okay, he's using his gift to survive in his world. I didn't ask him what he's doing, but he's doing something. Amen, church. If Moses' parents decided not to abort him, and that's what they were doing, telling the midwives to kill all the babies in that day of Moses, and Moses' parents refused to put him to death. And so he lived. How could Moses call himself a follower of God if he wasn't going to serve God the way he had seen his parents serve God? Parents, our children are going to emulate us. So I pray that you are using those gifts at home as well, on your job as well, to bring about unity or loneliness or kindness or self-control. Because people are watching how we use those gifts. In one of the interviews my son went through, one of the reporters said, James Franklin doesn't cuss, and he doesn't lie. And so for his senior year in the SEC, every defensive team cussed the whole game. Because the defensive coaches said, since he don't curse, then y'all cuss at him the whole game to throw him off mentally. Well, I taught my son, when you're competing in sports, you don't open your mouth. You let your performance do your talking. He said, Dad, they cussed the whole game. He said, after that season, 2013, when we played in the SEC championship, he said, every defensive player came up and apologized to me after the game ended. Because I never said a word. They apologized and said their coaches had told them to do that. To try to throw his game off. What I'm getting at church is when you talk about the growth of unity. It's moving to see our children put their faith into fruition. In the practice. In their world. And so it's been a joy for me to watch my daughters and my son put their faith in the action out in their world. All these teams now have a strength trainer. And my son and I, when he was younger, I wouldn't, we didn't watch movies that used vulgarity. And even some of the PGs will go there. So we tried to be very watchful about those things. And so when he would go spend the night over somebody's house, he said that we watched the show, and there was two cuss words. I said, well, you keep counting. 
Well, when he got to Mizzou, he went to the strength trainer. And he gave him a piece of paper and it said 42. The coach said, what's this, James Franklin? He said, those are, the amount of, those are the amount of cuss words that came out of your mouth today, coach. He said, I don't cuss that much. He said, yes, sir, I've been counting words since I was about six years old. Cuss words. I taught that by my dad. He went on the Missouri football website and said, James Franklin made me a better coach. Because he was the first one to call that to my attention. I didn't realize how bad my mouth had gotten. Church, if there's going to be hope for the world out there, it's going to be because of what we do in their lives. Not in an offensive way. He just wrote something on a piece of paper and gave it to the coach. He didn't go up and try to challenge him. I mean, doesn't Ephesians 4.15 say, speak the truth in love? When people know that you care about them, then they know what you're doing is for their betterment. And so the growth of unity is we learn how to talk to people. So the guy, a lady went into a shoe shop. She wanted to get a pair of shoes. The guy measured the foot. He said, ma'am, your right foot is bigger than your left. She said, of all the things, I'm offended. She left the store. She went across the street. Guy measured her feet. said, ma'am, your left foot is smaller than your right foot. She said, I'll take 10 of any pair. He says, speaking the truth in love. Do people know you care about them when you talk to them? Do you talk to them in a way of acceptance and love? Remember the woman at the well in John 4? He was a woman that had been through five divorces, and now she's shacked up with a guy, and young folks shacking up ain't new. It was sin then, it's sin now. And Jesus said, can I have a drink of water? Well, Jews didn't drink after Samaritans. She knew that. She said, sir, the well is deep, and you don't have nothing to draw with. You're telling me you're going to drink after a Samaritan? Ha! Huh? Well, in the conversation, she was convinced Jesus would have. So as he began to talk to her in verse 9, she says, Jew. How is it you've been a Jew? In verse 11, she says, sir. In verse 19, she says, prophet. In verse 28, she says, Messiah. Was she growing in our understanding as to who this man was? Yes, she was. She went from calling the Jew until calling him the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God. Because Jesus knew how to talk to people. It's not about winning an argument. Amen? Not about winning an argument. But speaking to people in a way that you listen to them. Take some time to listen. I mean, when you go to a doctor, he doesn't just say, Are you sick? Yes. Scaffold! Saul! <laughs> he gonna be cutting sheets. <laughs> he gonna be on that table. He normally says, on a scale of one to ten, what's the pain level? Then he gets the location. Where? He don't just start cutting. Well, we can't just start cutting on people just because they're lost. Gather some information. Find out how deep the pain is, the location, so that we learn the growth of unity. How to talk to people. He made some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors. For the perfecting of the saints, for the maturing of the saints. That's why as ministers, yes, we do focus on how to deliver the message so we don't get in the way. The unadulterated message, the growth of unity. Is that we grow together. And we use our talents to help others connect to their talents, their gifts. 
understand the grounds of unity and understand the graces of unity. In the first three verses, he talks about the wealth. But in the last three chapters, first three chapters, the last three chapters, he talks about the conduct, the walk of faith, how we walk in Christ because others around us are watching. My son called me a few years ago. He retired last year playing up in Canada. He said, Dad, there's a guy on the football team and he's like Dick Buckus. He doesn't like nobody and he is more feared on the defense than anybody else. And he's got a bad mouth and just has an angry attitude and a lot of people are afraid of him. He said, Dad, he came in the locker room the other day and on, on Monday and a couple of guys were talking. And he said, what y'all talking about? Uh, we were just talking about what the lesson was on on Sunday at our church. He looked at them and he said, y'all can quit faking it. Y'all ain't no Christian. The only Christian on this team is James Franklin. James said, Daddy, my eyes got big. I didn't know he was watching me. As bad as he's been, he's been watching me. He's been watching you. He says, only one Christian on this team. And he had never talked to my son. Guess what he's done? He's just been watching and listening. Don't ever think that your friends are not watching and listening to you. Have you ever stopped to wonder what this life is all about? Why you're here and where you're going when your lease on time runs out? Well, maybe you've been a bit too busy trying to reach your goal. Can I ask you just one question? Have you thought about your soul? You may reach your highest portal and success may shine on you. Wealth and fame may be a fortune and yes, your dreams, they may all come true. And maybe, just maybe, not a care on you will roll. But what about the great tomorrow? Have you thought about your soul? Well, don't forget, though, you may be flying high. Like all of us poor mortals, one day you too will up and die. Your wealth, your fame, your fortune won't be worth the rust or the mold. And that's why we should all take time to ask people, have you thought about your soul? Not a hard question to ask. Pretty simple. Have you thought about your soul? Some may think they don't even have one. But I know it generates interest. Paul was chained to a soldier on each side in prison. What do you think Paul talked about? What did he talk to a Gentile soldier about? Relationships. In what form? We are a family. Remember this movie Gladiator? Guess what he was always envisioning and dreaming about? His family. That's where Paul started with these men. Relationships. And he was building one since he was chained to them. So isn't a wonder in Philippians 1, he said he was teaching even the Praetorian guards. Guards who guarded the king. Paul was teaching them the gospel because he learned how to talk to them in love. He talked about their families, their wives and children and their relationships, what was dear to them. And he took that and turned it to Christ as Ephesians 5.22. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. They began to learn about the growth of maturity, that you practice these things at home with, on your wife and on your children. 
and on your neighbors. Church, we are one. Just like all those bricks. I was sitting there while we were singing. Just looking at all those bricks going up there. In 1 Peter, Peter says that we're living stones. He calls us the household of God. The temple of God. That we're connected. He says we're a royal priesthood. We can offer worship to God, have access to Him. He said we're a holy nation. 1 Peter 2.5 we are separate. We are a special people. That's why I believe if we're going to get many of those members back who may stay at home and just be on Zoom or who may not come back or take an interest at all. I believe those individuals we need to go build relationships with again. It's not about them coming back to the building. It's about us having a relationship with them and that will bring them back to the fellowship. Amen, church? Here's one of the things I did. I, I, I've always liked to go visit people. And I, we would get a list. And I've been a Christian maybe six months. And I would go visit people in their home on Sunday afternoons, sometimes Saturdays. And here's my attitude. If I come to your house to visit you, I'm going to be there five hours. That's my goal. If you ask me if I'm hungry, I'm going to say yes. And I make sure I go hungry. If you ask me if I'm sleepy, I'm going to say yes, because I know there's a bed in the house. If you're going to ask me if I like to watch a movie, I'm going to say yes. Because when I go visit people, and it takes them five hours to get me out of their house, they start showing up here because they only have to deal with me for 45 minutes. <laughs> Just don't be willing in my house. Because <laughs> let me tell you something. Back in those days, I had an appetite. I could sit down and eat 20 Big Macs in one setting. My son ordered him a whole large pizza every night. He could eat the whole thing by himself. I mean, them Franklin guys, they could put it away. I didn't know I could use that as a gift for fellowship. <laughs> you got to say, oh yeah, I can eat that whole pie. <laughs> I built relationships with people. Doug Wheeler is someone very dear to me. Doug Wheeler's dad was an elder at the church I was converted at. Doug wasn't faithful. And I knew that since I was on campus. And so he and I started playing tennis together. He would come Sunday morning, 15 minutes late. He didn't have to meet anybody. And then he'd leave 15 minutes early. He didn't have to meet nobody, but you couldn't say he wasn't there. And so, you know, in football, they don't have... 25 benches. There's one bench. So whenever I came to the building, I never saw those other benches. I saw one bench. Can y'all tell me which one it was? Sometimes I come 45 minutes late because then I didn't have a car. So I'd have to walk in the rain. And I walk in with five minutes to go. Walk right up there on the front row. Sit down. And people would ask me after this, like, there's only five minutes left to go. Why did you even show up? I said, you don't know the darkness that I'm dealing with out there in that world. Not only is that five minutes important, but I'm going to grab somebody else here and I'm going to keep them for another hour. <laughs> People start trying to escape me because I want to ask, okay, but, but how did you meet her? How did you convince her that you were the man she was supposed to? I wanted to know about relationships. How do you build these things? What goes into it? 
And so Doug got up 15 minutes to go, and he took out the door, and I was waiting on him out there. So I grabbed his hand, and I used to walk around squeezing tennis balls because I didn't ever want anything to slip out of my hands. And believe me, you, I don't have slippery fingers. And when he gave me his hand, I wouldn't let him go. I said, we need to get together. He said, yeah, how about next week? And he tried to pull away. I wouldn't let go. I said, that ain't going to work. He said, well, how about tomorrow? That ain't going to work. He said, how about tonight? I said, now that'll work. So we started playing tennis from 9 o'clock at night to 3 o'clock in the morning. And I said, look, man, I think I'm going to quit pro football, and I want to go to a Bible college. I need to learn my, my Bible. Why don't you come with me so we can shake up the world? No women. We ain't never getting married. You can tell we were on fire. Well, we went down to Harding, and anytime he started drifting, man, there was this girl. She was singing. Doug, focus. That's right. That's right, Franklin. He calls me Franklin. Franklin, focus. I said, Doug. Man, there's these five girls singing over there in the American Hatties. Franklin, focus. Okay, yeah, focus. Okay, no girls. Well, that lasted about a year for him. He was married. He and I have both been preaching the gospel for the past 49 years. They called us salt and pepper because he was white and I was black. You didn't find one without the other. That we both touched each other's lives and used our gifts to strengthen each other. Here I am going around the world preaching primarily in white congregations, New Zealand, Australia, America. He goes to Africa. <laughs> Who would have ever thunk it? <laughs> God is amazing in what he does, church, when you talk about the growth of unity. He has an accounting degree. He said, I ain't going to be no preacher. I said, me neither. I just want to go take this message to other people. I don't call myself a minister or preacher. I call myself a servant. Politicians have made the word minister mean boss. In the Bible, it means servant, that we serve. And so, church, let's guard the unity of the Spirit by staying unified, by staying together, by not being religious butterflies. Our talents and our gifts will work together when we look to the Lord and we strive to guard the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It is our tradition to sing a song. I'd like to sing one verse of a song. And if you need prayers, that's why we come together as well, to pray one for another. If you have questions, please ask. That's how I learn. They taught me that's, that's called didactic teaching, to, to teach through questions. And... I've been asking questions for the last 49 years and finding the answers in the word of God. If there's a need that you have, let it be known while we stand, while we sing.